Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Well, let's open our Bibles once again to the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 11. And we uh, plan to spend uh, three Sunday mornings in the verse, first four verses of Luke 11. Of course, as we said last week, this is the model prayer that Jesus gave us as answer to one of his disciples' requests to teach them how to pray. And last Sunday, we looked at three benefits or purposes of the model prayer. If you remember, they were, number one, it aligns our priorities. We tend to turn inwardly in our prayers, and yet the Bible says that we are to think about God's glory when we pray. It humbles our hearts when we have to come to Him with these daily requests for our daily bread, meaning we can't even sustain our own existence without His assistance. It humbles our heart, which is a good thing, because the Bible says that He gives grace to the humble. And then thirdly, it informs our relationships. Remember we talked about those vertical and horizontal relationships. If things are right between God and us, then we then are free to have productive and God-honoring relationships with one another. But this morning, I want to probe a little deeper into the elements of the model prayer. Specifically, we'll look at the lessons of the prayer because Jesus was essentially, after all, a teacher. More specifically, His disciples called Him the teacher, and teachers teach lessons. So what lessons can we learn from the model prayer? Well, let's read the text first. Luke 11, 1 through 4. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place after He had finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught His disciples. And He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And Lord add His blessing to the reading and hearing of His Word. Now remember that this prayer is not meant to be merely something we recite when we're in a tight spot. Now certainly we can do that, but that's not its primary purpose. Rather, it is to be an example to all believers of the kind of praying that God wants us to do all the time. One of the great attributes of our God is that He is not silent concerning His will. He is gracious to reveal Himself to us, both generally through the universe, Paul says in Romans, that through what has been made, that is nature, the stars and planets, the birds, the whales, the oceans. We know there is a very creative and powerful God somewhere in the universe, but that is not enough to know Him intimately. And therefore He gives us the Bible. His Word is where we find His will most specifically revealed. And in the pages of the Bible, He not only tells us what He's like and what He expects of us, He tells us how to communicate with Him through prayer. And so we don't have to wonder how He wants us to pray. He tells us very clearly here in Luke 11 and in other places in the Bible. So let's look at these three lessons of the model prayer. First of all, the model prayer instructs us to whom we are to address our prayers. Would you agree with me? That's a pretty important thing to know. If you're going to pray, you need to know who you're praying to. came across this week some very interesting statistics from a group called Pew Research who does these sorts of surveys about religion in our country. 
And this particular survey concerned the prayer lives of several thousand adult Americans who were asked one very simple question. The question was this, how often do you pray? And they were given four choices. First choice, I pray at least daily. Second choice, weekly. Third choice, monthly. And finally, some chose seldom or never do I pray. And it listed all the major religions represented in our country, including several that I would put in the category of cults. But my eyes went down immediately to the category called Evangelical Protestant, because that's what we are as Southern Baptists. We fall into the category of Evangelical Protestant. And I was pleasantly surprised, really, that nearly 80% of Evangelical Protestants at least claim to pray daily. And almost all of us claim to pray at least once a month. Now, that survey was presented without comment or criticism. But as I studied the results of that survey, a couple of things became obvious about all of the participants, no matter their religious persuasion. Number one is this, almost everyone prays or attempts to pray sometime. Did you know that according to this survey, 20% of people claiming no religion pray daily. Now there's some irony to that. They don't claim to know who they're praying to, but they know they need to pray. Human beings are inveterately religious and they pray, even though they don't know who to pray to often. And then you drill down a little more specifically and you compare the various major religions and their prayer lives. Hindu people claim to pray uh, daily, 51% of them that is. 22% of them seldom pray. 43% of Buddhists claim to pray daily. But, but here's what's interesting. Of those two cults that I identified, 90% of them pray daily. And yet, if what we believe about the Scripture is true, they're not praying to the right God. So it begs the question, does it matter to whom we direct our prayers? Well, the Bible says it certainly does, though many people say no. In fact, many people you know would tell you something like this, all roads converge at the top. So you can take any religious path you like and we're all going to end up in heaven. Well, that's a, a good thought and it makes a lot of people sleep better at night. One problem with it, it ain't so. It's not true, according to the Bible. I've told some of you this story privately, but uh, two or three years ago my wife was in need of a new minivan to... Uh, bus our kids around to their various activities. And so uh, I enjoy going to the car dealership about as much as I enjoy going to the mall. <laughs> Which is to say I, I don't. And so I've learned to shop online and uh, even for cars. And so I asked my wife what color car she wanted, what type of minivan she wanted, how many seats, how many cup holders, all of that I typed in. And I found one just a few miles away over in Grapevine, showed her the picture. I said, do you like it? She said, yes. I said, I'm going to pick it up. <laughs> and so I called and make sure it was still there. And they said, it's here. I said, I'll be there in 15 minutes. Got in my minivan and drove over there. And uh, sure enough, there it was. They had it waiting for me to test drive. Well, I really didn't want to test drive it. Um, but there was a, a gentleman there who was eager to make a sale. And he introduced himself to me. And, asked me what I did for a living. Well, I said, well, I'm a pastor. He says, well, that's interesting. I'm a Muslim. And he's from a Middle Eastern country. And I said, I believe I will take that test drive. <laughs> and uh, we got in the car and shut the door. And he told me his name. I called his name and I said, you've already sold this car. 
I said, all I'm going to ask you to do is sit there while we drive around the block a couple of times and I'm going to share with you about Jesus. And he agreed to those terms. And I shared the gospel with him. In about 15 minutes we came back and parked. And I said, well, I'm good to my word. You made the sale. Let's go and do the paperwork. And as you know, it takes longer to do the paperwork than anything else. And uh, as when they're doing the paperwork, he probably came back to me five times in that 30-minute period. He had a question about religion every time. And you could tell the Lord was working on him. And finally, uh, they were going to pull the car around. They'd washed it one last time. They were going to pull up the front door, and I was going to drive it home. And he was out there waiting for me. And we just so happened to be looking out over uh, the 114 interchange where all 635 and all those roads come together. And he said, well, here's what I believe, Pastor. I tell my adult sons this. I tell them, doesn't matter what religion you choose, just stay on the path and you'll get to heaven. And I said, that's very interesting advice. I said, where, where do you live? He said, I live over in Plano. I said, here's what you do today if you believe that. I said, what time do you get off work? He said, about 7 p.m. I said, 7 o'clock today, you get in your car and you choose any one of these roads represented here at this intersection and you go any direction you want and you'll get home. I said, do you believe that? He says, well, no. I take the same road every day. It's the one that goes to Plano. I said, that's right. And yet you're trusting your eternal destiny on a myth that all roads lead to heaven. Well, Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says there is a small gate and a narrow path that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. And he said of that path that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Dear friends, it matters who you pray to. It's always mattered. I think of the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 18. Do you remember Elijah? He lived in a period of time where that wicked queen had shipped in over 400 false prophets of a false god named Baal. And it broke his heart to see the people running after these false gods. So he challenged them to a standoff on Mount Carmel. This is what he says. Then Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So if you want to know if it's important who you pray to, Listen to what Elijah says, the one who answers, he's the Lord. We have a God who hears and answers. In fact, he tells us that we can call him Father. Jesus teaches us to direct our prayers to not some nameless entity out there in the ether, but to one who is intimately acquainted with us, we call him our Father. And we have the right to call God our Father because of our relationship to Jesus. Jesus has the right to call God Father, and because we are in Christ by faith in what He accomplished in our behalf on the cross, we have been adopted into the family of faith. We are now His sons and daughters of the Most High, and we can come to Him as a precious child, comes to a loving, the Scripture says, Daddy, Abba. That's the kind of intimacy that we enjoy with the Heavenly Father. But that does not mean, just because He's our Father, that we come to Him flippantly or irreverently, he is our father, but he's not our buddy. He is most high. Jesus says we're to address him as hallowed. 
which means revered, holy, distinct. We do not come to him as we would appear or an equal. We come to him in humility as his subjects, those who have been redeemed by the blood of his dear son. So it matters who we pray to, and that's one of the questions, one of the lessons we learn from the model prayer, to whom do we pray? We pray to our Father. Secondly, we learn the lesson of whose glory to seek in prayer. Look at verse 2b. He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now, a person's prayers are often a good indicator of that person's progress in sanctification. That is, how mature they are in the faith. All of us start out as baby Christians, don't we? We have to be born again. And when a child is born, uh, he's an infant. And when infants first learn to talk and make requests, they use a lot of pronouns like me and my and mine. A human baby, as you likely know, is the most self-centered thing in the world. Every time you turn around, they're crying. They say, meet my needs, meet my wants, me, me, me. And that is very cute when the child is 18 months old. It is repulsive when he's 37 and still doing it. <laughs> We're not to remain in infancy, either physically or spiritually. I remember my first attempts at prayer as a child were certainly very immature. See if you remember some of these prayers. Lord, let me make an A on my spelling test. Lord, let my team win this game. Lord, let me hit a home run and be the hero. And Jesus makes it clear that prayer is not ultimately about us. In fact, he summed up that teaching in three words, your kingdom come. Now, what do those three words tell us about God? Well, it tells us two things at least. One, he's the king. Because kings rule over kingdoms. And when Jesus says, thy kingdom come, he's declaring God is king. Secondly, there must be a sense in which God's kingdom has not yet come. Or we would not have to pray for it to come. Now, there certainly is a sense in which it has already come. Jesus rules in our hearts and minds through the Holy Spirit. That is, of believers. But as we survey the landscape of our culture, and certainly the world writ large, Jesus is not ruling and reigning in most people's hearts. In fact, as he said to the Pharisees, they are of their father the devil. They are in the kingdom of darkness rather than the kingdom of light. And so theologically we say we live in the already and the not yet realm. Jesus does rule and reign in the hearts of his people, but ultimately when Christ comes in judgment, he will rule and reign over all things. Paul says in Philippians that one day every knee will bow. And every tongue confess of things above the earth and on the earth and under the earth. And every knee will bow to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And this prayer, thy kingdom come, is an affirmation that all things, including you and me and this church, all things exist for the glory of God alone. Your kingdom come. And when you really understand that attitude, you're, you're less likely to pray, Lord, let me be the hero. Let me hit a homer. Let me break the bell curve. When we pray thy kingdom come, we are acknowledging that God's plan and program are much more important than spelling tests and baseball games. That's not to say that God doesn't care about your tests or your trials, no matter where you are in life. It's that that's not the most important thing. 
the most important thing is his kingdom and his glory. And the model prayer teaches us that every time we utter its words. Thirdly, finally, the model prayer instructs us what we should pray for. Look at verse 3. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now really all the things that Jesus says it's appropriate for us to pray for fall into two broad categories. We should pray for His provision and for His protection. First of all let's take His provision. Our provision as human beings from God falls into two subcategories. Physical provision and spiritual provision. And so he says we're to pray, give us this day our daily bread. I take that to be our physical needs. Bread, as we said last week, is the most essential thing that we, we need nutrition. We need calories so that we can have energy to live. But I think it also includes all the other necessities of life. Food, clothing, and shelter, and health, and so forth. And, and that word daily is very important because it, it means continuous dependence. And at this point I'm reminded of God's physical provision for the nation of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Do you remember what they ate? They ate manna from heaven. This little wafer-like thing that would descend from the sky while they were sleeping. They would go out in the morning and pick it up and eat it. And if they tried to store it for two days worth, what happened to it? It became moldy and unfit. And so it was God's reminder to them that they had to come every day for their essentials of life. And we are needy people as well. We, we could not sustain existence for 24 hours were it not for God's provision in our life. Most of us understand that. That's why when we're children we begin to pray. Almost all of our prayer life is directed in that category. Lord, make me feel better. Lord, thank you for my toys. Lord, thank you for my friends. There's nothing wrong with that, but we must go past that into the area of spiritual provision. And that's when he says, forgive our sins, our debts, even as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Again, though, this means continuous dependence. We love to quote the verse here, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But really what it says there in the Greek is he keeps on forgiving us. This is a continuous action because we keep on sinning. And so he must keep on cleansing us. Spiritual and physical provision. Again, um, the psalmist David understood this. As he came towards the end of his life, he went to Bethlehem. As he looked out over those pastures where he used to tend his father Jesse's flock, it hit him in epiphany. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. That is, He provides for my physical needs. Sheep have to eat. They have to drink water. God provided for His physical needs. And then He says something very profound. You restore my soul. That is man's greatest need. More important than water, food, shelter. He needs to be made right with God. And God provided a way for David and all people to be forgiven. And that is through the shed blood of His dear Son. But he did not discount the physical protection God gave him either. 
That's why I said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Which is just another way of saying they protect me. I often read that passage at the funeral services of dear Christian brothers and sisters. And I remind us that those two tools of the trade, a rod and a staff, were the most primitive of human weaponry. Do you know what a rod is? A stick. A big old stick. You know what my, my kid's favorite joke at home right now, what is brown and sticky? A stick. <laughs> and so how does God provide? He protects us physically. We don't have to worry as long as He's with us. But then most importantly, He protects us spiritually. And this is really what Jesus is getting to with the last phrase of His prayer. Lead us not into temptation. Now, I will admit to you, I probably memorized the Lord's Prayer at the age of six, and I have studied it for the last 40 years in some detail, and that's always a sticking point to me. Lead us not into temptation. Why on earth would Jesus tell us to pray like that? Because what we know about Jesus, He would never lead us into temptation. In fact, the Bible tells us in James 1.13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. End of story. God would never entice you to sin. So why would we have to pray, lead us not into temptation? Well, it certainly must not mean don't entice us to sin. So it has to mean something else. John Piper says this, So, so God does not do the tempting. He does not put evil desires in our hearts, for He can have no evil desires in His heart, but He does bring us into the presence of many tests and temptations. Now we're getting at the heart of what we believe here about the sovereignty of God. Proverbs 20, 24 says, A man's steps are from the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will what? He will direct your paths. And so our theology tells us that God is directing our paths. We are calling out to Him as the Good Shepherd who's directing our path and saying, Lord, keep us away from temptation because we know that sin is what separates us from God. And Satan uses temptation to break the fellowship that we have with the Holy Father. He can't take our salvation, but he can break our fellowship through sin. That's what Peter meant, by the way, when he said in his epistle that Satan is a roaring lion roaming about seeking who he can destroy. Peter's talking to Christians. Peter knows that Satan can't take your salvation. But if he, he knows if he can tempt you into sin to the point where you lose your Christian witness, you can be set on the shelf and no longer useful for the Lord's kingdom. And that's what he said. He's already got the lost people. He's not searching around for them. He's searching for Christians who have an area of vulnerability in their life, an area in their life that they're susceptible to temptation, and he's like every other big cat on the planet who is a predator. He doesn't attack the big, strong leader of the herd who's healthy and vigorous. He attacks the one with a limp who's fallen behind or become sickly or isolated himself from others. He becomes vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. 
And so this is a prayer to God that, Lord, don't, don't let me find myself in that situation. Piper says the Lord's Prayer does not teach us to pray against the, that kind of sovereign God, uh, guidance. What it teaches us to pray is that temptation does not take us in. Don't lead me into temptation. Deliver me from this evil that is set before me. And so here's how we should pray. Today I will stand before innumerable temptations. If not today, certainly in the morning when you go to school or work. Because that's what life is. It's endless choices between belief and unbelief, between obedience and disobedience. But pray like this, O mighty God, forbid that I would yield. Hold me back from stepping inside the temptation. Deliver me from evil. That is the prayer that the Lord hears and honors. Well, let's practice what we've preached here today. Remember we've said over the last two weeks, the model prayer aligns our priorities, it humbles our heart, it informs our relationships. And today, we've been taught to whom we should address our prayers. We've further been taught that it's God's glory that we must seek in prayer. And then finally, uh, we see what we should pray for, the content of our prayer, God's provision and protection. So you bow your head, please. And and I'll voice our prayer to the Father. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are holy. You're distinct, you're different. We would never enter your presence as we would appear. But yet, Lord, we are your children. You have adopted us into your family based on the shed blood of Jesus. And based on his right relationship with you, now we have right relationship with you. Father, we long to be holy practically as we are positionally. You declare us holy. Now, Lord, we wanna live holy lives. So, Lord, we pray this prayer of Jesus, lead us not into temptation. Protect us, Lord, by your rod and your staff. Thank you for your provision physically, for the health to be here, the transportation to get here, and the friends when we got here. And we thank you, Lord, most importantly, for your spiritual provision, for your son, Jesus, who left the glory of heaven, lived a perfect life, and died completing his mission through the resurrection. And Father, we wait now for your kingdom to be fulfilled perfectly at his second coming. And we say with Christians all over the world, what we've been saying for 2000 years, Lord Jesus come. We would pray to see it in our day. Until then, Lord, we pray for revival and awakening. We pray your will would be done here on this earth, that people would obey you here like the angels obey you in heaven. And Lord, we long to see it. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.